Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Would you guys give it up for Seth and the crew here today? Yeah, we got Seth here filling in for Aaron. And uh, I'm filling in for Larry this morning, our pastor and our worship leader. Um, happened to be father and son, and they happened to be out uh, in California with the whole family getting some time together in Palm Springs, because Palm Springs is lovely this time of year, uh, just like Phoenix. But they're, they're getting some time together out there, uh, grandkids and siblings, and uh, so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's beautiful because life is better together. And we at North believe that life is better together as well. That, that life in isolation outside of community is not an environment in which we thrive, either personally or spiritually. And, and so that's why you'll hear us at, at different times and different seasons pushing and encouraging people to join uh, small groups, to be in community together, encouraging people to get into even smaller groups, which we often call a, a forum of four or an accountability group. Uh, and it's in these environments that, that we find encouragement and ability to be transparent about who we are and the struggles that we face, and, and also to find accountability and so, uh, as we encourage people to be in these groups, we also give them questions to ask each other, to, to spur conversation, to get to the things that are important. And so, I'm going to ask you one of those questions today. And the question is this, how is your relationship with Christ? How is your relationship with God. I want you to pay attention to where your heart and your mind first went when I, when I asked you that question. Uh, what, what was the first thing that you went to as a measurement or, or as a gauge of some way of judging how your relationship with God is? You know, I've observed in conversations with people through the years that, that we have a tendency when we're asking this question uh, to give an answer that's based almost exclusively on us. Uh, we, we begin to answer a different question. We begin to answer, how am I doing at fill in the blank? Uh, one of those may be, how am I doing at reading the Bible every day? Uh, how am I doing it at quiet times? Something that we encourage. Or, or maybe it's, how am I doing in this struggle that I just can't seem to beat, in this, in this pervasive thing that nags me and follows me wherever I go, and, and some weeks are better than others, but how am I doing at that? Uh, and the problem with this is that, that answering the question that way can, can make our perception of our relationship with Christ based on uh, performance. It can make it a matter of obedience or failure or success becomes the measure. As we provide questions to people, we, we ask them about other relationships too. 
Uh, how are the relationships in your family, whether with your parents or your siblings? Uh, how's your relationship with your wife? How's, how are your relationships with your children? And when we go to answer those questions, the other person is almost always in view. But for some reason, as we answer the question about how our relationship is with God, we tend to focus on how we are doing at certain things. And there's a danger in this, in that we can put too much emphasis on our shortcomings and not enough emphasis on who God is, even in light of our shortcomings. And today we're going we're gonna to see that, uh, well, let's just be honest, okay? We're all a little bit of a hot mess. I, I mean, you know you better than I know you. And I know me better than you know me. Uh, but if you knew the me that I know, you would know that I'm a little bit of a hot mess sometimes. And I think if you're honest, you'll find that the same is true with you, that we're complex creatures. Uh, that, that the physical affects the spiritual, and the spiritual affects the physical, and, and the relational affects all kinds of things, and the truth is we're all a little bit of a hot mess. But what I want you to see today is that there's beauty to be found even in the hot mess. You know, in, in Romans chapter 7, um, Paul identifies uh, something that we're all probably a little too familiar with. Uh, to paraphrase it, he, he says, you know, I, I find myself doing the very things that I wish I wouldn't do. You know, the, those are the things that I, that I end up doing. And, and, then, and then there's other things that are good and right and true, and, and I deeply long to do those things, and yet I find myself not doing them. And in chapter 7, verse 21, he continues and he says, So I find it to be a law. I find it to be a truth, a, a principle, that, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says there, there's another law, there, there's another thing out there, another power that's, that's waging war. And it's this sin nature in me. You know, we, we tend to think of sin uh, as something that we do. Right? That's, that's what sin is. Sin is something that we do. And it's true that sin is something that we do, but Paul's making another point here, and, and the point is this, that, that sin is a, is a power. Uh, sin is a force that, that's at work in the world. And it's a, it's a power that unfortunately is also at work in us, in our flesh, in our, in our members, in our complex bodies 
that have desires that want to be gratified, that have emotional responses to situations. There's a force, there's a power within. You know, we're told to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> how's, how's right here in me for close, right? Sometimes my, my greatest enemy is, is within. But, but Paul makes a distinction and I think it's an important one in verse 20. He says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but, but sin that dwells in me. It's this other power in me. Because in my inner being, I delight in the law of God. I deeply desire to carry that out, to respond accordingly. So it's something else at work in me. It's part of me. But it isn't me. It's true of me. But it's not the true me. Paul goes on, he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus that, that he has made a way. Now, Paul is not absolving himself of responsibility for his actions, but he is recognizing, he, he is distinguishing between that which he longs for, that which he desires and actions which are actually against his will. But then he chooses to identify himself with the new creation that he is in Christ Jesus. And he concludes and at the same time begins a new section in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, based on who I am in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul's description of this dilemma, of this situation that he finds himself in is, is a description of our lives. That, that we want to please God in everything that we do. We want to live a life that, that honors Him. But we come up short, inevitably. Uh, there's a traditional confession in the church that I grew up in. And it includes the phrase, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Yeah. In what we have done and in what we have left undone. Uh, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. It's true of us. But Paul says it's not the true us for those of us who belong to Christ. So the question becomes, how can we live our lives in such a way that we find the beauty of the gospel even amid the struggle, even amid the mess, 
How is it that even though our sin is ever before us, that the beauty of God and of who He is can be greater in our hearts, greater in our minds than these truths about us. Well, today we're going to take some direction from from David, uh, who wrote a vast majority of the book of Psalms that we have in our present day Bible. And we're going to look at David today uh, because David was known for something in particular. You know, as we look at the Old Testament saints, uh, we often find that individually they are known for particular things. For Abraham, it was responding in faith when God called him out of his home and, and to a new country, not knowing where that would be or, or what that would look like. Uh, for Job, it was patience amid suffering. And if there's one thing that David is known for, it's, it's his devotion to God. That, that God's presence, that his goodness, that his, his nature was ever before him. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, David says this. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord. that I've decided that this is chief among my requests to God. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This is our key verse for this morning. And we're going to take a look at these three verbs that David emphasizes. Can we go back to the verse? The first, he says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And then two things that he desires to do in the dwelling in the house of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says, the one thing, the one thing that I'm going to seek after is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To dwell. For David, the house of the Lord represented the presence of God. That in his time it was the tabernacle. And later in Israel it would be the temple that was seen as the special presence, the the place that you could encounter the presence of God in a special way. That God was especially present there. Essentially David is saying that he wants to make the presence of God his dwelling place. That every day he would find himself living in God's presence. So let me ask you, how? How or when do you experience the presence of God? 
oftentimes like the tabernacle or the temple in Judaism as, as the corporate body would gather together that there is a special and unique presence of God when God's people gather together. And it's something that we experience on Sunday mornings and in other group gatherings of the church that we sense that God is with us in a special way during those times. But, but David seems to indicate, and he longs for, seeking out and enjoying the presence of God every day. So how is it that you experience the presence of God? You know, for some people I know, it's through music. Uh, that, that music brings them especially close to the heart and the mind of God. That it stirs something in their soul that creates a communion and a fellowship with God. Other people find that outdoors, in hiking, or enjoying God's creation. Other people find it especially in God's Word as they read, as they consume, as they take in the Word of God, that, that they experience His presence there. And others find His presence in a, in a closet, closed and with the lights off. That, 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 that is their place that they can focus uh, to lose all the distractions and just be present with God. Psalm 27.4 encourages us to find patterns in life where we are regularly encountering, regularly seeking and experiencing the presence of God. And it's not the same for every person. So how can we find patterns in our lives that help us to experience that presence? I think of David writing in Psalm 8.4, he asks the question of God. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? I mean, seriously, God, what is man in comparison to you? What are we that you're mindful of him? or the, the Son of Man, that, that you care for Him. And if God is mindful of us in that way, it makes sense that to experience His presence on a regular basis would mean that we are mindful of Him as well. And so the first thing that David says is that he's going to seek to dwell in the presence of God all the days of his life. And that as he dwells in God's presence, that he will then gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This word, gaze upon, could also be translated to behold, to delight in. And what is, what is the beauty of the Lord? Perhaps in the tabernacle, in the temple, David perceived the beauty of the Lord and in, in the things that were contained in there. We can kind of get that same sense if you've ever toured Europe and you step into one of the old cathedrals that are so ornate and with the huge ceilings and the stained glass and the artistry throughout. It's something to take in. It's something to behold. It, it tells you that you're in a unique and special place. 
But this word for the beauty of the Lord in other places is also translated as, as God's grace. That, that we would behold, that we would take in, that we would delight in God's grace. Also translated God's favor, His kindness, His goodness. Now, that as we dwell in His presence, one of the goals is to gaze upon who He is. To see the beauty of who God is. Uh, Howard Baker, in, in, in writing a book on devotion called The One True Thing, uh, he says this. He says, It is beauty that arouses desire and sustains devotion. Uh, anyone who has lost his desire for God has first lost the vision of God's magnificence, brilliance, and radiant glory. If you find your desire for God waning, look at Jesus. Uh, fix your eyes on Him. Uh, join Mary of Bethany in sitting at His feet, listening to His voice, and looking full into His wonderful face. Join the crowds who beheld the beauty of His grace as He forgave the terrified woman caught in adultery. Look on in awe with those who beheld the beauty of His power as He fed the 5,000 and the beauty of His compassion as He touched lepers, gave sight to the blind, and blessed those who were thought to be unblessable. Join Nicodemus, the woman at the well, and the disciples in beholding the beauty of the life of Jesus. We see the beauty of God in creation, in, in relationship, in, in nature. Uh, but we find His beauty preeminently in Scripture as well. In all the ways that He reveals Himself. In Exodus 34, God, God tells Moses that He's going he's to let His goodness pass by Moses. And it says that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There's beauty in a God like this. And in Romans chapter 5, uh, just before the earlier passage we looked at, verses 6 and 8, all Paul reminds us that it was, it was while we were still weak, so while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, that Christ died for us. Died for, not for the righteous, He died for the ungodly. <laughs> One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's beauty in a love like this. And in Romans chapter 8, just shortly after our earlier passage today, Paul says that, he is sure that, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, 
that we'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's beauty in a hope like this. And so David says that he's going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, his character, his nature, his purposes. And finally, to inquire. To inquire, to meditate, to seek, to contemplate. All ways that this word inquire could be translated. Many take it in a general sense that David is there to inquire of guidance from the Lord in all things. And certainly, that should be our approach as well. Uh, that we would seek His presence. That, that based on His nature and His glory and who He is, that then we would inquire of Him as how He would have us live our lives. But it's also important for us to contemplate. Uh, to stop and, and take the time to meditate. And that, and that doesn't mean to do something weird and, and funky and you say ohms and you sit in a certain position. And <clears throat> to, to meditate simply means to reflect upon. You know, often we'll discover truths. Often we'll come across the word of God or some great principle and we go, yeah, I love that. We don't take the time to take it in, to chew on it, to ask, what does this mean for me? In, in light of who I just saw that God was, in light of the love that he has for me, that, that while I was still a sinner, he loved me. That probably means that even though I continue to fail at times, he knows that and he still loves me and to take the time to receive that truth. To take the time to take it in. You know, I think Larry just said a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're pretty good at confession, but we're bad at receiving forgiveness sometimes. Uh, that we're good at, at recognizing truths, but, but we're bad sometimes. We don't take the time, we don't stop to take it in and to contemplate and to ask, to inquire of ourselves and of God. If this is true about you, God, then what does that mean for me? Uh, C.S. Lewis <clears throat> hit it on the head, and I think this is a great takeoff from gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. He says, we do not want merely to see beauty, we want something else which can hardly be put into words. We want to be united with the beauty we see. We want to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And isn't that what we long for? Uh, to bathe in in the gospel, uh, to receive it into ourselves, 
in such a way that it transforms us, it becomes a part of us. That the first thing that we think of when someone asks the question, how is your relationship with God? Is that it's marvelous? It's the best relationship that I have. That I'm always forgiven. That I'm always understood. That God is where I am before I even try to take Him there. That, that this is a God who is so beautiful that He delights in nothing more than me bringing Him my failures. And for Him rejoicing that I'm trying. Uh, for Him to be encouraging me to get up, to move on, and to be encouraged. That He's a God full of compassion. That he's a God who's slow to anger. That he's a God who's abounding in steadfast love and mercy. That how my relationship with God is today is so much more dependent on who he is than how I've been doing at a checklist that I've created or that someone else has handed to me. If, if my relationship with God is, is based on my obedience or my ability to keep a schedule or my emotions to come to the level that I desire them in my devotion time with the Lord, then I'm never going to perceive my relationship with God to be how He desires it to be. That, that a relationship always has to have the other person in view. And it should be that in our hearts uh, that we would agree with John the Baptist and say that when it comes to my relationship with God and answering how that relationship with God is, that I must decrease and he must increase. That, that the thing first and foremost in my eyes should be the glory of God and the truth of the gospel. And secondarily, how I am responding to those things. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Hmm. Thank you that there's beauty in the mess. And there's beauty in the mess because there's beauty in a God like you. There's beauty in the love that you have for us. That there's beauty in the hope that we have because of those things. And so, Lord, we pray that this week that, that your glory, your character, your nature, your purposes would overshadow our perception of our failures and our shortcomings. That we would bathe in the grace of God that we would take it in. That we would receive it into ourselves and become part of it. We ask you all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.